Good afternoon. Um, my name is Allison Draper. I'm the director of the Science Center here, and it's a, a great pleasure to introduce you or to reacquaint you with Nancy Miller Davis. As you probably know, uh, she graduated from Trinity in 1977 with a degree in engineering and has gone on to pursue an inspiring career in the burgeoning field of information technologies uh, at United Technologies Corporation since that time. After Trinity, she completed a Master of Science degree from Rensselaer Polytech, and then Davis joined UTC's Pratt & Whitney division in 1979 and held various positions in IT, including Director of Engineering and Manufacturing Systems, Infrastructure, Architecture and Security Operations, and Global Enterprise Resource Planning Implementation. She led the initial outsourcing of information technology operations at Pratt & Whitney in 1999, which is now in place globally across UTC. She previously served as Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Sikorsky from 2002 to 3, and Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Pratt & Whitney from 2003 to 9. Nancy was elected Vice President and Chief Information Officer for United Technologies Corporation in January 2010. She's responsible for providing leadership to UTC's information technology function, including global IT strategies, systems, infrastructure, and supplier management. Nancy is a recipient of the YWCA Women Achievers Award, serves on the Yukon MSBAPM Corporate Advisory Board, and is a member of the Executive Board Committee for the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Our challenge for her today is to talk about her work in relation to the theme for the this lecture series, Science for the Greater Good. We have a special addition to today's talk, Peter Bradley, who also graduated from Trinity with a degree in engineering in 1987, will be joining Nancy for the talk. Peter works for Pratt & Whitney, a UTC company, in the field of high-performance computing and modeling. Please join me in welcoming Nancy Miller-Davis and Peter Bradley back to Trinity. Well, thank you all. Uh, for that, and thank you, Allison, for that very kind introduction. It is a, a real honor and a thrill to be here today. Uh, I parked over um, by the chapel, came down the long walk, and reminisced about all the, the great times, and the campus is just looking fantastic. Trinity has really had a profound impact on my life. My dad graduated here in 1952 and started his own engineering business, which he's still leading today. Uh, I met my husband here in 1979, and I think it was actually in this room um, when they used to have freshman uh, get-togethers and beer parties and sticky floors and things like that, where I actually met my husband. But also, very importantly, um, Trinity's the reason I went to work at Pratt & Whitney I don't know um, if many of you, you know or certainly have heard of Professor Bob Stewart, but Bob was a, a math professor when I was here. I was lucky enough to not only have him as a professor, but also to work for him in, um, in assisting with a statistics class. And Bob had some contacts at uh, Pratt & Whitney. In fact, some of, the, some of the leaders at Pratt & Whitney at the time had been formally uh, working here at Trinity. So he went over with some of the other Trinity faculty and uh, had a tour. And when he saw Pratt & Whitney and he saw the things going on at Pratt & Whitney, he came back that afternoon and he said to me, I was a senior at the time, and he said, you have got to go to work there. And I, like many college seniors, really didn't have any idea what I was going to do, but I, I hadn't, ex as a Connecticut kid, I grew up 10 miles from here, I hadn't expected that I was not only going to go to college here, but then cross the river and begin my career there. 
But thanks to Professor Stewart and his insights and his guidance, I did, um, in, the, in the interview process here, I did go to Pratt & Whitney. I thought it would be interesting um, as a means to combine my love for computers, uh, which was very different at the time than you all know it today, but also my strong interest and background in engineering. And when I saw what was going on at Pratt & Whitney at the time, it was really the emergence of introducing computers as the way to solve complex engineering problems, help us develop new and innovative products, and apply that in ways that really could help not only our company, but frankly, our industry. So I was thrilled to go to work at Pratt & Whitney, again, through the insights of um, the relations here at, at Trinity, but uh, hadn't expected to stay there for 35 years. So 35 years later, how did that happen? Um, I was just doing really interesting things at Pratt & Whitney for a long time, kept moving my career along, and um, had the opportunity to work with a lot of interesting folks and advance my career to ultimately the top information technology position in a $65 billion global corporation working for the CEO. So I'm going to talk about you know, not only what UTC does, but the really proud role that information technology has within a technology company, because that's what I've done, and, um, and be really thrilled to have Pete join me with some of the amazing things that he's done. So I'm going to um, start by introducing a video. I'm not sure of all of you are familiar with the products that we have at United Technologies, so I'll start out with a, a brief video on that. Okay, so United Technologies, who are we? What do we do? As you saw, uh, we're in the helicopter business, we're in the jet engine business, we're in the elevator business, we're in the air conditioning business. Uh, we develop all kinds of systems for aerospace, uh, aerospace components for aircraft, commercial aviation that flies today. We're global. 60% of our business is outside of the United States. 21% of that is in emerging markets. And um, we're growing continually. So innovation is really what drives UTC. As a company, without our technology, we're really not able to provide the products that we have today and improve modern living. So if you look at our role in information technology at UTC, it's to apply the advances in technology, both software and hardware, to help differentiate our products and services for our customers. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this. But first, it's really important to understand our heritage. The role of exploration and innovation in our company's evolution and our products is really foundational. Many of our founders actually imagined the products that we now create today. And I'll, I'll start with Igor Sikorsky. Igor Sikorsky had a passion for aviation. He was an immigrant to the United States in 1925. His vision was to pioneer flight solutions that could bring people home safely wherever they were in the world. If you think about aviation was really just taking off in those times, but jets and, and aircraft could only get to certain locations. 
Igor Sikorsky recognized that there were going to be times when we needed to get to people in a way that we couldn't get to them with traditional aerospace um, aircraft. So he thought about vertical lift and how we could apply that to the fundamental problem of how do you reach people, whether they be in the military or whether they be somewhere that they need to be rescued from. So that was his dream. And since his dream, and we went into service in 1945, over two million lives have been saved. And as you can imagine, for Sikorsky and for United Technologies, the parent company for Sikorsky, innovation and continuing to improve our products is fundamental, it's foundational, it's our means to help uh, improve how we all live every day. So we're advancing vertical lift technology today, working with the, Air, with the Army, we're working on optionally piloted version of the Black Hawk. Think about that. A, a Black Hawk that flies itself. I mean, if you think about um, where we apply the Black Hawk, especially to, you know, military situations around the world, and you think, think about the opportunity, you know, where we put soldiers in harm's way, to have an aircraft, to have a helicopter that can fly itself as needed is really revolutionary. And just last week, we rolled out our next generation military helicopter that can fly at 10,000 feet and over 250 miles an hour. You think about the application for that. I'm going to um, show a, a brief video of that. We call it our S-97 Raider helicopter. I'll tell you, there's no more exciting product than the helicopter. It is really amazing. We're down in Stratford, Connecticut. You walk through the assembly floor, you can see the engineers designing the products, you can see the mechanics that assemble the products, and then you see the flight crew fly it out the back door um, and test it, you know, right down along the river. It's, it's really amazing, and we're very proud to have been selected to uh, to serve the U.S. President uh, since the 1950s, including for the next generation presidential helicopter. So again, continuing on the theme with our with our founders and their visions and their their drive for innovation and applying technology to helping improve how we all live. I'm going to move to Willis Carrier. Willis Carrier was born in 1876 in New York and would grow to solve one of mankind's most elusive challenges, and that is to control indoor temperature. In, 19, in 1902, he designed the first air conditioning system, launching an industry that would fundamentally improve the way we live, work, and play. If you think about all the areas in the world where temperatures are routinely over 80 degrees every day, and how populated they've become as a result of modern air conditioning, and think about how important it is for temperature control and moving our food supply around the world. You recognize what air conditioning has meant to our everyday lives. And another one of our founders is Elijah Otis, and you'll recognize these last names are, are really who we are, Otis Elevator, Carrier Air Conditioning, Sikorsky Helicopters. Elijah Otis had a vision to move people vertically. 
similar to Igor Sikorsky, but in this case, not in, a, not in an aircraft, just to be able to move people vertically. So standing above a platform among the crowd in New York City's Crystal Palace, he shocked the crowd when he dramatically cut the only rope suspending the platform on which he was standing. The platform dropped a few inches, but then came to a stop. This new safety brake had worked and stopped the platform from crashing to the ground. With this safety brake, Otis literally started the elevator industry. And again, if you think about high-rise buildings in our urban centers around the world, including in emerging markets, these could not exist without the vision for our founders. And think about how this is applied with modern air conditioning, elevators, escalators, fire suppression and security systems. Similarly, we had founders that had a vision of how they could improve modern living and how they could innovate and use their engineering skills and their dream to change how we all live. We continue to innovate. Our newest generation of elevators reduces energy consumption by up to 75%. Our refrigerant container systems reduce carbon emissions by up to 35%. And our latest, latest Marioff sprinkler system uses over 90% less water than traditional systems. And I'm going to show a short video on these businesses today. Okay, and I have another um, founder I'd like to talk about. And that is in 1925, an engineer named Fred Rensler had a revolutionary idea about using air instead of water to cool aircraft engines. No one believed this could work, so he started his own company, which we know today as Pratt & Whitney. By December of that year, he and several smart engineering colleagues had designed, developed, built, and tested what was called the WASP engine. The WASP went on to power the majority of World War II aircraft and was absolutely essential to, to U.S. interests. Since this time, Pratt has continued to innovate and today is introducing a radical step change in technology for commercial aviation called the geared turbofan. The geared turbofan is a product which reduces fuel consumption emissions and noise by significant amounts, reducing costs and creating a more environmentally friendly environment. You're going to hear a lot more about this um, when Pete talks, and especially the important role that information technology has had in this, in this uh, new engine. So shifting gears a little bit and, and bringing it home with information technology for the greater good. While the achievements of our founders inspire us to always reach for the next generation of innovation in our products and services, it's, it's really it's up to us to think about how we do that. We can't stand still. I can remember um, a head of engineering at Pratt & Whitney years ago saying to me, Nancy, it's what you do that's going to help us move forward. It's, it's information technology, it's computing, it's the advances in the computing world that are going to help us and applying those to our business opportunities that are going to help us improve our products and our services for our customers around the world. With a critical 
continued advancements in information technology, it's a great opportunity for us to apply innovative IT and help generate these breakthroughs for our customers. Let me share some examples of IT and innovation throughout some of our business units. Starting with Pratt & Whitney, I'd like to introduce one of our employees, Pete Bradley, uh, 1987 graduate of Trinity, proud graduate of Trinity, um, proud Pratt & Whitney employee. And Pete's going to talk to you about his work uh, in IT and helping Pratt & Whitney develop the next generation of, um, of engines that you're all going to fly in. All right. If you ever get a chance to make a video, I highly recommend it. It's remarkably difficult to make three minutes worth of video. That, that was a lot of fun, though. It was a real learning experience. Uh, in any case, I'm Pete Bradley. I graduated in 1987, uh, and I lead Pratt & Whitney's high-performance computing and modeling. Um, this is a relatively young field. Um, where we use supercomputers and advanced algorithms to model the physics of real things. Um, so to give you an example, uh, the combustor of a jet engine, this is where the fuel and the air come together. Uh, it's absolutely critical in terms of emissions and fuel economy, uh, but it's an incredibly hostile environment. Think of an environment like a, a hurricane on fire at temperatures that exceed the, the melting point of the metal around it. Um, if you want to design something like that, it's very difficult to do because you can't just put something in there to measure what's going on. It, it would be gone instantly. So um, traditionally, the way those things were designed uh, was the, what we call the build and bust approach. People would build a, a combustor, um, they would test it out, they might make some holes in it or, or make some changes or whatever, make improvements, then build another one and, and eventually that's that you know you would feel what you had. The trouble with that is, each one of those combustor rigs, as we call them, um, cost millions of dollars and they took months to build. So there's only so much improvement that you can do. Now, the equations that, that determine that fluid flow, that airflow inside the combustor, were actually derived by a couple of guys named Navier and Stokes in, in, in the 1850s. But it's really only in the past couple of decades that the computing capability has been available to use those for real-world design. So what that means is we can now design a combustor virtually, try hundreds of different design changes and improvements before we ever bend a single piece of me metal. And that's just had a huge impact on the, on the design of our engines and on the environment. I want to show you a quick picture that helps to illustrate that. Okay, so this is one of our Pratt & Whitney's flying testbed aircraft. Um, the two engines on the right and the one on the left, the ones with the smoke coming out, those are pre-computer-aided design, uh, and then the one in the middle there is, is afterward. And you can see just visibly how much of a difference that was. Now, even though you don't see smoke from any jet engine today, we've continued to improve the product and continued to improve emissions and, and fuel economy, and that's just had a huge impact on, on uh, how things have gone. So. Uh, another area that's been very heavily impacted is safety. You saw the, the test where a blade broke off in the engine. That's an FAA-required test. One of the things people don't know about our business is when you fly, we've designed for things that you've never imagined. 
Um, so everybody kind of thinks about things like what happens when a bird hits an engine or what have you. But there are a lot of other complicated things, very, very uh, destructive tests. Those tests are very expensive, they're very complicated. We can now simulate those things using our supercomputers and using advanced software. Um, and it allows us to make products that are not only more robust and safer, but they're also lighter and more fuel efficient. And that's just been a huge change in the industry. Um, there are corollaries in other businesses too. Um, just in the time that I've been doing this, um, automobile fatalities per, per mile have been cut in half using this kind of technology. Um, so that gets us to the pure power engine or the geared turbofan, which we talked about. Um, and that really brings together, you know, uh, March Young there said it was the culmination of a lot of different technologies and sciences, and it really was. Everything from computer modeling for aerodynamics to materials um, to, to really something groundbreaking, which is how do, you, how do you make a gearbox that is strong enough to take the horsepower of the entire field of the Daytona 500, but still light enough to fly? And that's in that engine and it's running today. So it's just been, a, been a, a huge improvement in technology and you'll be flying this in just a few years. So, you know, we, we like to say this is rocket science, but it isn't just for rocket scientists. Um, my colleagues at Procter and Gamble um, are in a little different business from us. We sell products, we sell a few thousand products for a few million bucks a piece. Um, they sell billions of products for pennies apiece, so diapers and things like that. Um, but they have a lot of the same challenges. Um, well, all right, they're not really the same, but they actually have to simulate things like the physics of toilet paper unrolling in their factory at 60 miles an hour. And, and they really do fluid dynamics analysis on Pringles to make sure they don't fly off the line. So, so you, you're affected whether you know it or not. So, um, so the other thing is, this is not just about engineering. Going back to Pratt and Whitney for a moment and the, and the contributions of technology and IT, um, you can imagine the manual for our engine uh, is a little bit bigger than the manual for your cell phone. All right, it's a lot bigger, right? And we have to send out updates on a regular basis. Um, we used to ship to each of our airline customers pallets of paper, tons of paper, four times a year. Today, we can deliver that, that digitally, um, and as a result, all of that paper, all those updates that used to wind up in the landfill after they were obsolete are eliminated. Uh, it's better for our customers, but they get the right documentation in the right places, it's safer. It's just been an all-around good thing. So, Almost every field really has, has been uh, affected by the, the rise in technology. Now, when I was putting this pitch together, I got to thinking a little bit about what I've learned and what I would tell somebody who was, was at Trinity right now. And I've been very hesitant to give advice, but I think I've been out 25 years now, so I'm, I'm, I'm slightly entitled. So. Um, I'm just going to give you an idea of three things that I think you're, you're probably, if you're like me or like me, I was then, you're seriously underestimating. Uh, the first is how much there is to learn at Trinity. Um, and I'm not just talking about your coursework. By all means, get the coursework done. 
But it really goes beyond that. You know, if something interests you or, or be a little bit beyond the coursework, do it, explore it, find it, because some of those things come back and wind up being really useful. Steve Jobs found that his study of calligraphy in college actually led to proportional fonts on the first Macintoshes and fundamentally changed every computer that we use today. I mean, that's just taken for granted now. So the other, another experience that I found at Trinity, I, I rowed while I was here. I was never a great rower, um, but it was one of the most ex important experiences that I had. And um, my coach was a guy named Henry Fox, and he was one of these guys who could just kind of go, you know, I'd really like to jump off that bridge over there. And you'd be like, wow, that is a great idea. I am pumped, you know? And obviously, you know, not everybody should be Henry Fox. But, but the lessons on leadership by example um, and on how to motivate people, those are things I use every day at Pratt & Whitney. So look around for that. They're in a lot of, those kinds of lessons are in a lot of different places. Um, the second thing that you're underestimating right now is how hard some days are going to be. Whatever your field, wherever you decide to go, um, if you're doing it right, it's going to feel really difficult. But just be aware that some of the greatest opportunities are found in some of those days that look the darkest. Um, finally, um, no matter what your field, um, technology is going to fundamentally change and create new opportunities for you. Um, I just want to show you a picture. Um, the Trinity was kind enough to find yesterday this picture of Haldan Engineering. This is the Engineering and Computer Science Building when I graduated. I'm actually in this picture in the upper left. Nice haircut. Um, and the, the machines in these cubicles are not computers. They're simply terminals talking to a VAC 750 computer in the basement which is, just imagine a row of machines about the size of washing machines. That was state-of-the-art at the time, and the entire campus used it. Now today, just a, a, a couple of decades later, um, you can buy a computer with infinitely better graphics, 4,000 times as much memory, and 10,000 times as much compu computing power for a dollar and a two-year activation. So. If you had told me at the time that a computer like that would have existed, I absolutely would have believed you. If you told me that I'd put it in my pocket and everybody would have one, I wouldn't have believed that. So make sure you're thinking big enough. You know, whatever you're thinking right now, it's probably too small. So um, with that, I'm going to turn it back to Nancy. Um, I do just want to mention one other thing. Um, when I graduated from Trinity, everybody wanted to be an investment banker. Um, now everybody wants to work for Google. I, I think that's progress, but, but I hope that you will also look at United Technologies. You know, it's, it's been a great company for me. Um, it's an opportunity to work with, with just really smart people. No matter what your field is, you don't have to be an engineer, finance, all of these other things, right? We're all making these things happen. So I certainly hope you'll, you'll consider it. So I just want to um, continue. That was Pratt & Whitney, uh, obviously, in an example of how we apply information technology for the greater good. Uh, in our building and industrial systems businesses, IT is helping to enable better support to our customers with mobile applications 
that we're developing that our service technicians can use to improve the speed by which we, we respond to customer requests. We're also beginning to use, you know, so that's what we've been doing maybe over the last five to ten years. Very importantly, we're be, you probably heard the phrase big data. Everybody's talking about big data. If you think about our building systems and the amount of information we can collect from our sensors regarding elevator movement, regarding air temperatures, regarding security systems and all that, we take all that data, we collect it, we analyze it, we put some algorithms on it, and now we can start to create predictives about when does everybody come to work? When does everybody come home from work? What floor do they want to go to? What temperature do they prefer? And you can start to have, you don't have to stand and wait for the elevator for 30 seconds or 40 seconds to come to get you. Because when you're coming in the, into the vicinity and you park your car, it knows you're coming and it knows where you probably want to go. So we're starting to get into more and more of this emergence of integrating uh, engineering control systems, Internet of Things, a lot of folks talk about, um, and take that data, apply algorithms, and see what we can do to predict uh, people behavior and, and do it in a way that not only creates efficiencies and conveniences, but also improves safety. In our Pratt & Whitney business, for example, we're taking all kinds of historical information on engine performance and how, you know, the events we may have experienced um, in different in different conditions, um, with different service, with different airlines and and whatever, and we can predict when there might be a part failure or a part issue or a, a worn something or something that we can do proactively to help improve safety. So these are really exciting times with how we combine Internet of Things and big data and put analytics on it, take our historical information and move more in the way of predictives. Also in our Sikorsky business, you know, Pete talked about how we're using modeling for a lot of analytical needs. In our Sikorsky business, we're doing a lot with uh, 3D assembly, uh, 3D models and how we can assemble our aircraft, assemble our helicopters, uh, through a computer and really determine where there might be clearance issues or problems somehow in the serviceability or if the integration of, of the massive amounts of parts and data that, that come together to create our products. And at corporate, um, as a corporation of over 220,000 employees, uh, in 70 countries, serving customers in 180 countries. As you can imagine, our needs to collaborate around the globe um, are, are very significant. And we've created all kinds of SharePoint collaboration farms. We do desktop-to-desktop, uh, peer-to-peer, -to -peer, -to -peer, live streaming collaboration, if that means. So we really feel as though we're sitting next to our colleagues wherever they are around the globe. So we're doing all this in the inf information technology age, and now more than ever, we need to continue to innovate faster. Why? How much big data is there? Every minute, Google receives over 2 million search queries. Email senders send over 204 million messages. Mobile web recognizes 
217 million new users, and brands and organizations receive over 34,000 Facebook, Facebook likes. Predictions are that by the end of the decade, we'll have um, 22 billion connected devices with sensors transmitting 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day. How are we going to use that data to advance us? We've got 2.5 billion gigabytes of data per day. 80% of all the data in the world has been created in the last two years. And again, it's through connectivity, it's through these mobile devices. How are we going to how are we going to use that information and really advance our world? The rules for engaging with customers are changing from a customer-centric to customer-activated. We have to get customer feedback. We do get it. We have to act on it urgently. The evolution is really at warp speed now from business models to products and services to prototypes to analytics, all as a service. We have to anticipate the everyone to everyone to everything economy. Beyond the market of one, the evolution of the customer-centric ecosystems orchestrated by the Internet of Things. So what about Watson? IBM has Watson. Watson's big computer is now able to think. It can, it can play chess against a person and beat them. It can predict. We've got all this data. How are we going to use it? How are we going to use it intelligently to improve our world? We've seen the positive results of these technology changes, but there's also some not-so-positive results. And believe me, I live them every day in my role. Our intellectual property has to be protected. It's our lifeblood at UTC. We've talked about our technology. Cyber threats are a very real, very serious, very significant challenge. I've talked to colleagues in the US government. I've talked to colleagues, CEOs of banks, of insurance companies. Everybody's fighting this big, big battle called cybersecurity and putting tens of millions of dollars into it. On average, we block a billion spam mails a month at UTC many of which are intended to infect our network and cause harm, steal our intellectual property, steal our sensitive customer information, steal our sensitive employee information. This is a very real challenge and a very real threat. So if I think about IT for the greater good and beyond UTC, engagement in the community is really um, Another thing that expire, inspires us at UTC, you see the love of our products, you see our founders inspire us, but engaging with the community and applying science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM skills is essential to our future. Our UTC employees are committed to this. We participate in many STEM activities, from FIRST Robotics to Junior Achievement to um, uh, an activity that I was really proud of, and that was uh, recently we had some engineers go for the summer to some Hartford Public High School um, students who dedicated their summer to building turbine systems such that they could bring energy halfway across the world to the Himalayan mountains and actually 
um, provide energy for their schools and their computers. And if we have a few minutes at the end, I'd like to show that because it's something we're really proud of. But again, it's taking technology, applying it to um, ways that really haven't been thought of yet. And that's, that's really, you know, Pete had some, some really great messages for you. Uh, I, I'd like to share some as well. My daughters, my teenage daughters, don't like to listen to my advice. So I have an audience. I'll, I'll try it here, too. Um, Igor Sikorsky encouraged his employees, and this is a phrase that has stuck with me. What Igor said was, we need to let our imaginations take us beyond the impossible. The impossible. And without Igor, without Fred Rensler, without Willis Carrier, without Elijah Otis, believing that their ideas could ultimately be successful and change the way we live, our world would be a very different place today. Each of you has the opportunity to have an impact on society and how our children and grandchildren live. STEM education is foundational to innovation and therefore essential to our future. The rate of change continues to grow exponentially, which is very exciting. And that's your opportunity to embrace technology and apply it in incredibly innovative ways that nobody can imagine today, and yet will become essential to modern living 20 to 30 years from now. You can have an impact. You can do that. And then my last piece of advice is one trend in US colleges today is that fewer students, and especially fewer women, are choosing to study information technology. I'm not exactly sure why this is. I think some believe it has to do with outsourcing of technology jobs overseas. Others think that perhaps it has to do with business fields becoming more attractive for math inclined students. Pete said it was the investment bankers. I'm not really sure, but I can tell you there's no better field with the level of rapid and exciting change which can be applied to an infinite number of business opportunities. I chose an IT career without having any idea what I'd be doing in 20 years. But that's why I chose it. Because I knew that it would be dynamic. I knew that whatever I was doing my first day of work, I probably wouldn't be doing my second year of work, and so on and so on. And nothing could have been more true. Today, there are exciting jobs in the area of social media and cybersecurity. 10 to 15 years ago, no one imagined that these would ever exist. That's going to continue to happen. We don't know what the future brings. It's up to all of you to help bring that through innovation, through believing that you can have an impact, and through applying technology and other science and math skills to help improve the world that we all live in and our children and grandchildren will all live in. So with that, um, I have time for some questions. <laughs>